Building better players. Building better games. This is playing the role. Welcome to Playing the Role. This is the podcast dedicated to making you and us better role players, whether you're a GM, a player, or all points in between. This is a show that is all about that creative process, thinking through role playing, the philosophies of role playing, and just kind of talking it all out. So today we're going to be talking about the very beginnings of a game, starting campaigns. We're going to be talking about who to invite, scheduling, setting expectations, all of the groundwork that goes into a successful campaign. But before that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Nathan Stone. With me today and going forward is going to be Darcy Robinson. Hello. And Dylan Campbell. Hi, it's me. (laughs) So, guys, before we get into anything nitty gritty, let's go and give people a shortened version of our backgrounds when it comes to role playing so they can kind of see where we come from, because we all have very different histories, despite all being sort of in that forever GM range. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll start us off here. So. I am the the old man of the group here. I've been role playing for a while now, probably since middle school, where I I bought the f- third edition Dungeons and Dragons introductory set. It wasn't even like the core rules. It was like a kind of get you started. Came with my first set of fancy, you know, role playing dice, and. So I, I did a little bit during middle school, but I really got into role playing in high school where I played Dungeons and Dragons, of course, but pretty much everything under the sun, Rifts, World of Darkness, uh, more even esoteric games than that, and a lot of homebrew stuff. And I had a group that was pretty regular throughout high school, and that was where I really got into it. Uh, it was nice because I was on the improv team in high school and improv and Dungeons and Dragons are basically the same thing. So I really enjoyed that. And uh, a lot of us improvers were big role playing nerds as well. Uh, As I got into adulthood, of course, you play less because adult things start coming in and stealing all of your time. But uh, I mostly play kind of homebrewed stuff now, a lot of World of Darkness as the base, and then I expand off of it. I don't really play a whole lot of the classic fantasy role playing, although my good friend Dylan Campbell here has been running a game for Darcy and myself in D&D 5th edition, which has been lots of fun because I hadn't played the game at all since 3rd. And it's neat to see the similarities and differences. And uh, Dylan always puts that little, little extra love into his games. So it's been lots and lots of fun. But let's go from... Old man uh, yells at uh, dice to young man who is full of life. Dylan, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm the I'm the wee little guy. I'm the wee little baby. I started playing purely Dungeons and Dragons back in late 2014. That was my first ever tabletop RPG, and uh, I remember when my friend in middle school as well. He came up to me. He's like, "Hey, dude, you know that shop you play Magic at?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, they do this thing called D&D. I'm like, oh, that sounds stupid. I tried it, 
And now I haven't stopped. That's what I've been doing for the last almost decade. Yay! Um, I've been a player, and now as of late, like you said, I've had the curse of Forever GM uh, thrusted upon me, and I run games and nothing more. W- once you get into that, it never stops. It just never, ever stops. You're stuck. It's womp womp. Uh, but I have dabbled in other systems, probably not nearly as much as the other of you two, but I, I, I did a whole uh, campaign of Mal- Monster of the Week. I've played in a few sessions of Pathfinder, first and second edition, and I even had a game like long ago in Dark Heresy. So I've kind of, I've been here and there, but it's safe to say that I'm a, I'm a young little guy uh, still broadening his horizons from, you know, the juggernaut that is D&D. Uh, with this hobby our middle child darcy i suppose that leaves me the the moody middle child of the trio uh my name is darcy robinson and uh i've i've kind of had a a a bit of experiences of both of these guys actually uh the more i think about it because like nathan i started with well it was 3.5 edition that was that was Probably my first experience with D&D. I, I made a character just because. I thought, why not? And it was all a spiral down from there. I, I, was, I was hooked on that point. Uh, however, up until about three years ago, I had never gotten past three sessions of a campaign. Ever. Ooh, that's so sad. Uh, for whatever reason, and the GM would just get bored with it, I guess, or we would never be able to schedule at all, uh, or somebody would just lose interest altogether, and when one person does it, it's cannonballs downwards. Uh, up until about, uh, up until about three years ago, uh, when, uh, a friend of mine, uh, decided he would take up the mantle of GMing one day because he was bored and <laughs> lost in the prairies with uh, with nothing to do. So he's like, I'm going to make a world. And from there, I had my first ongoing campaign that's still been going on for like a couple years now, which has been fantastic. Um, so like... Now, and of course, this is now in full 5e uh, after experimenting around with 3.5 was kind of where our old GM would do most of his stuff. He would do a little bit of things otherwise, like World of Darkness or like maybe a Shadow Run, but again, would not go past uh, three sessions. We'd be lucky if we got two. But I loved making characters regardless, and so I would always be up for it. And then suddenly I was approached one day and it's like, hey, you want to DM something for me in 5e? You should make a campaign. I'm like, are you nuts? But eventually, eventually I did it anyways because the pandemic hit. And that's how I received the curse of being a DM. Uh, but of course, it's okay because I have what other... Uh, Two other things going on with that. One of which from our old Forever GM, who decided to pick up DMing again. Uh, And one from, of course, our lovely baby Dylan Campbell here, 
uh, I'm actually part of two campaigns that he's going on. But Darcy, Darcy, you're my nice little stress stress tester to just kind of <laughs> throw you in and see how it goes. Yes. Okay. That's right. Um, I love. That's the thing about that I love doing. Thank you for reminding me. That I, that's the thing I love doing with uh with anybody's uh D and D or like any sort of TTRPG campaign is I love to stress test the world that people uh, make. Uh, I have this thing where if somebody, I, I go into detail and if somebody's like, uh, there's this kind of stuff, I'm kind of mo- uh, kind of still workshopping it. I don't like, I want to see it. I want to I, give it to me. I, I want to try it. I don't care what. Uh, it, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna see on that, and we're gonna see how that goes. If I'm OP, if I'm if I'm <laughs> underpowered, who who cares? I want that experience because I love trying new things with this game. Because there's so much that you can do with this game, and that's why. And and, and I don't know. I'm a th- I'm a theater. I've come from a theater background. I like making characters, anyways. I put Dylan through a lot of intensive character creation as a result. I think that's a lot of fun because I I've seen just a few of the things that you've created Darcy. And I I don't think we could be more opposite on that. Cause I'm the guy who's just like, okay, I'm going to be a human. I'm going to be easily relatable. I'm going to be easy to play. (laughs) uh, And I'm going to be easy to fit into a world. And the very first thing that I heard you creating was for a game. And we all went to the same college and did the same program. That's how we all, all met. And uh, Dylan was running a game for several people uh, at that point. And uh, so Darcy's character that I heard was a space goblin. And I was like, oh, this is D&D, right? Like this is, and it was just like, yeah, yeah. Darcy made a space goblin. <laughs> it was a space goblin. I was, yeah, I became, <laughs> I I wanted to be an isekai protagonist essentially, uh, and, and explored Dylan's world, not knowing anything about anything. You you broke the conventions I was making for every other player character <laughs> who had sort of, they had player name, I, I write these primers for them, you two know them. It's player name in the blank of blank, right? In the, I don't know, in the Oracle of Keystone, in the, in the shadows of Stomstruck. Yours, however, broke the mold because you're literally not of the earth. It was, it was, it was, I love the name of it. Yeah, I know, I remember the name of it. What you gave me was just what the name he the 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 thing he gave me was just was just the uh, was just the quote. Zaruk, what have you done? <laughs> I loved it so much. You threw a curveball. It was great. Yeah, honestly, and that's the thing that I really like is when people go into detail about things. I have a blurb of things where people, the more stuff that people write, and I'm, I'm guilty of doing this myself. I, have, I take so many notes. <laughs> uh, but the more, the more people I've written for stuff, the more I'm just like, yes, I want more of this. I think that's a, a GM thing too. I think the GM part of your brain is just like, the more work they do, the less work I have to do. This is fantastic. That's exactly right. right? I, I, I do understand there are GMs there that out there that are very much protective of their worlds and, and their ideas and stuff. And they don't, we wouldn't be as open to someone coming in and I'm not going to say challenging that, but, but bringing in ideas and things that, that maybe they didn't think of for this setting. 
But in in my experience, just kind of trying to roll with it as long as it's not too out there is always a good thing because it, it kind of broadens your horizons and, and it kind of opens up the game a little bit and, and forces you to think a little bit more creatively. Of course, the games I run are very much of like they're set in the world, usually in a pretty modern time frame. So I'm not making whole worlds myself. I'm just taking our world and messing with it a little bit. But for you guys with your own worlds, it's it's almost it's easier in a way because of course you you make up all the rules but it's also harder because you you have made up these rules and then you get darcy just gallivanting in from another direct dimension crashing a spaceship in your fantasy game and you're just like okay well now i have to deal with him <laughs> oh man i i i didn't expect the change to be that the to be that drastic but then again it's it's stuff that I like to think of because I expect people to I want to think outside the box and yet also compliment my party at the same time. There was one campaign that I played um it was like a small it was like a small three shot or whatever. It was about like uh it was like you can only be like you you the races were restricted. Being like, well, you can only really be like a goblin, a hobgoblin, or like a kenku, or something like that. Because uh, it's, it's like, it was like this little goblin tribe that, uh, uh, that you were trying to free your brethren from slavery kind of deal. Uh, from this, this ancient, uh, ancient Greece-like uh, fortress, as it were. And I looked at that and I thought, hmm... But what if I'm like a deserter from this ancient Greece fortress? Could I be a different race that way? And so I ended up being a centaur that abandoned his post to run away from <laughs> to run away from this life and got captured by these goblins. Did you have to give them centaur pony rides? Yes. <laughs> They're goblins, of okay. course. All right, all right. Just checking. Just checking. <laughs> They're tiny folks, and of course, uh, of course, they want to be like, "Ooh, big horsey!" What? <laughs> <laughs> I like doing that because I I like making my DM think about stuff as well, and kind of expanding on their world. Maybe something that they haven't thought of. Or from another perspective, Darcy likes to be a problem. <laughs> considering the last character that i made for you dylan is that true no i mean not for me i love i love i love being challenged as you said like that kind of that like is this a thing like trying to trying to get one under me i love that yes please try because i think i got all my bases covered you can't get to me i'm a, I'm a fortress it's alien a go for it i got it all right, let's uh, move to our discussion part of the episode here now that our audience knows some weird stuff about us. Listen to me very carefully. It's the discussion. Bro, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> Listen up. So we're talking about starting campaigns today and everything that goes into sort of the planning aspect. So before you, you really sit down and start rolling dice, we want to talk about... Who to invite, what kind of scheduling you might look at, and then setting expectations for yourself and your players, which I think is something that is really important, but not done nearly enough. Anytime that I've been 
kind of asked to to join a game or, you know, someone's kind of dropped hints that they're going to run a game. It's always a lot of stuff is left unsaid. And I think that sometimes that can be a little bit of a mistake because especially if you're dealing with people who are not veteran role players and usually you'll have one or two in in every group, unless you've got a group of friends that have always played together and always played together. Like I've for many, many years just played with the same people and we all had those same kind of shared expectations because we knew the types of games that we like to run. Uh, But for a lot of people, if they're expecting one thing and you deliver another thing, it's going to be a lot harder for them to be immersed in the game. Maybe they made a player that doesn't really work in one setting because they thought it was going to be something else. So let's start with setting expectations. Where do you guys fall on how much information to give a player beforehand? Because I I really like to paint in broad strokes, but I like to give the my players the sense of the world, what what we'll be doing and kind of some of the major themes. I tend to focus more on kind of down to earth games that tend to be a little bit more serious, a little bit more on the horror side, not fantastical at all, not in the power fantasy range. So certain things like that, right, that that invalidates tons and tons of characters. There's not a lot of combat in my games, so there's you can make someone who is very physically able but the chances for you to use that might be a little bit less than making a character that is a little bit more well-rounded or perhaps more bookish or more investigative, that kind of thing. Uh, so Dylan, tell us, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, how do you like to, when you're approaching your prospective players, what, what do you do to set their expectations? So first of all, I tell them, uh, the genre of the game. And if they're interested at all, I think that's the biggest, I'm running a game. It is fantasy. It is, you know, uh, sci-fi. It is realism. And that's the first kind of, are you interested in that? Me, it's always going to be fantasy. It's never not going to be fantasy. I love fantasy. I love high fantasy. So nine times out of ten, that's what I ask them. I, I find myself only DMing for new players. You are actually the first group of people who have played this game for more than like one time that I ever ran for. And it was so just like freeing. But new players, you have to kind of, you have to be a bit more delicate with because it's their first time. And whenever, a lot of times when people think of, you know, their first time ever playing a tabletop or a role-playing game, they think of, they think of fantasy, right? They think of Tolkien, they think of Game of Thrones. That's literally, I've had, and I've had people come in and say that. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like that, but not really. Um, I almost never give a time I think I just because of what I did to you, poor Nathan, and for eight months, I said, yeah, yeah, we'll do it soon. Soon, TM. (laughs) I'm terrible. Yeah, I'm terrible with timing. So I just kind of like, in the future, I plan to do something. Do you think you'd be interested? And, you know, we'll work out a date later. But I just want to know if this is something you would at all want to even engage in as a part of your, as a part of your upcoming time, TM. I like to go over sort of when when I got them a little more investment invested. Do you like fighting? Do you like exploring? Do you like? Do you think you would like role playing? You know, just kind of a general aspect of a game of a of a role playing game of a tabletop game that they would be more open to. And if they're more of a tactician, 
I sort of think about them at my table and how I can run a game that involves their interest with that. Uh, as well, you know, do's and don'ts. Set kind of like, are there any other things you can't do? You know, for me, I can't like, if there are other players at a table, I can't do child player characters. I don't know. When there's just like, I'm playing a an 11-year-old boy. I'm like, I can't do that. This isn't this is a no-go for me. Sorry. That's just that's not my cup of tea. And so I just sort of like, are there is there any sort of theming that you absolutely cannot do? And they'll be like, oh, you know, it's pretty much the obvious stuff that's atrocious. I'm like, yeah, don't worry. I'm not crazy. <laughs> Wink. Not in the way you think. Uh, but that's sort of my go-to method for like broad strokes. Yeah, broad strokes. I'd broad stroke. Mm. I think that's a really good point, but I guess it depends, as you said, on the kind of player that it is. For folks like you, uh, uh, I could go as in-depth as possible, uh, and, I, and I love that when people do that, so I like to do this myself. When it comes to like a world, I want to I wanna immerse those experienced players within the world and give them options, as many options as they can. Um, but for somebody who's maybe a little newer, what I would probably do on that, I, I tell them things like, okay, this is like the genre, and this is the kind of uh, stuff that's in this world, the kind of things that you can expect, what kind of races you would like to be, or classes, that kind of thing that are more prominent here. I like to ask a lot of questions. The more questions that a GM can ask the better, I think, to make people think. Because I have a theater background, so, like, this is kind of stuff that's a little bit residual of that in my books. Uh, it's just, okay, what do you want for a character? What makes you want, what makes this character want to travel? What do you, what does your, and the biggest question that I think that all DMs should ask is, what does this character want? That's probably one of the biggest things. What does this character want? Why is this character on this journey? Why are they exploring? Why are they deciding to do this? Because without that kind of motivation, what is there in a character? They won't be... They'll just be there along for the ride. So I think that is the most important thing to ask, is what do you want out of this? Uh, And from there... Then you could, then that helps a DM build a world and a journey as well. Sometimes even the most uh, seasoned of D&D players are just like, just like, I'm going to just make a joke character and just go along with it. There was one person who was just like, I want to be a Disney fairy princess. That's it. That's all he gave me. Uh, and I'm just like, that's it, eh? Okay. Well, but at the same time, I still ended up making a lot for that. A lot more than than he bargained for because, like, it's just a thing based on, like, why are you here? Yeah, I, I think one thing that we could probably take away from from all of our answers here is that it's really important to know what your players want in terms of 
the type of of game and type of experience here because we're, we're all talking about and i think it's easy for a, a a gm to make a world make a game make a plot and kind of just think about what that demands right what the what the plot demands when you don't have players that are necessarily going to go along with all of your intricately designed plans that's the thing <laughs> so like that's the thing you can even if you have this established stuff and whatnot you can you never know what players are gonna do no no and I, like i said i i put tend to play very you know down to earth games my my you know the characters in my games tend to be normal humans to do normal human stuff they don't have magical powers they don't have anything and they still every time i run a game will do something that my eyes kind of go wide and i'm just like okay yep that's a choice you'd made and now i have to deal with that choice thank you thank you for that <laughs> but it it's it's it is it's important and it's it's fun right like you you get memorable moments from that as long as it's not too crazy or too silly and as long as the players are taking the game serious enough right they, you can have characters that are silly but as long as they're not doing stuff that is going to derail the entire game you you have that leeway right to to be like oh, okay well you made an interesting choice there and we're gonna have to figure out what happens because of that but there, there is kind of a a, a tightrope walk there where you you don't want it to get out of control, but you you do want to have a little bit of that that wild kind of improv because it makes role playing fun. Um, so when you guys are starting a game, who do you look to invite? This is a weird one for me because I played for so long with the same group. And actually still friends with a, a subset of that group. And, and whenever I play games, it's usually with a very small group. So I'm not always looking to, you know, recruit to find players, that kind of thing. But Dylan, your experience is very different where you've kind of been with newcomers all the time. So is it just a who shows interest or is it a I think this personality would like role-playing how do you how do you go about sniffing out your your next sessions worth of uh of victim <laughs> it's it's kind of it's through osmosis of friends friends i don't expect to dm for half the players i do and i don't expect for those people who hear about and show interest to be half as interested as they are it's sort of i find one person I narrow them out, I single them out, I target them, and uh, I rope them into my, my spider web and they can't escape. No, I, I invite them to play. In the back alleyways. And then... Exactly, yes, yes, you get it. Gets out his gun. Uh-oh, uh-oh. But I, I, I run them through a game, right, and I get them ready for it. And they're typically, you know, they like, they enjoy going on, especially in an online space, because that's my most recent, is people online. And I've never done online games before. They like to go on, like, role play servers online, right? Like uh, like Gary's Mod or Space Station 13. And um, I, I, I grab someone like that, and it's a, and I find out, like, oh, wow. You're, you're slow, you're slow burn, right? You have to warm up to it because the idea of sitting at a table with one-on-one -on -one is very different from a server. Um, but then you open up and I'm like, wow, you're a, you're a great role player, you know? And it's sort of those people who are 
they they haven't had a chance to express themselves like this before. They've kind of they're the they're the quiet kids. <laughs> it's true. And then their friends hear about it, right? And they're like, "Oh, can you do this for us?" And at first, I'm like, "I don't know you like that." And I, I, but I still want to, I want to introduce everybody to a cool, a cool opportunity, a cool. I think I can provide that. So I say, okay, why don't, why don't we try and run through character creation? And sometimes I always expect for them to just there they go, right? They see, they see, they kind of, I run, I give them the synopsis of kind of what to expect. And then I run them through character creation and I feel like, oh, they're gone. But no, they love it. They love this idea. They're like, and I could be whatever I want. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, whoa. And they go crazy with it. And then they write me, you know, paragraphs and pages. I'm like, this is amazing. Where's this guy been? I, this hasn't been the guy I've been talking to for the last like year. It's like, oh yeah, I like, I like writing in my free time. I'm like, I didn't know that. That's awesome. It is, it's wild how an opportunity can really bring out someone's personality. Like I was always the overly creative kid. It was just, you know, I, I, I was role playing since I was a toddler because I would just make up pretend games in my head. Right. And the, we, we call role playing and we think of role playing as fancy and that kind of thing, but it's just playing pretend. Uh, we just made up a bunch of rules for it because as adults, you want to codify things for some reason. But I, I, I just love that because I think it's so important to realize that not everyone's had these chances and not everyone's experienced that that just joy of of somewhat unlimited creativity that that role playing brings. So I love that story, Dylan. That's, that's fantastic. Darcy. I know you've kind of got a group that you you have been role playing with for for quite some time. Uh, do you have the same kind of experience as me, or have you have you done some recruiting on your own at some point? Yes, in a way, I guess. Um, because, like, yes, there's that you know, there's that key group of people that you're comfortable with doing that will always say yes, sign me up for any game possible. So, of course, a lot of that, a lot of my players overlap in that way. However, there's the rare time when there's people, when it's kind of like what Dylan said, like, friends of friends, but, like, even, like, some friends that, uh, that I have outside of that. It's just, like, and suddenly they bring up, hey, I, uh, out of nowhere, they say I, I, I do a lot of, I, I do some D&D stuff sometimes, or, like, I like to... I like to do a lot of writing and whatnot. And in that at that point, it's just like, wait, okay. So, like, if you would actually like to play this game with me, then uh, would that be something that you'd be interested in? And it's like, it's the people, like Dylan said, that you least expect. I had known, I had known this one person for probably since, like, my early high school days, uh, and suddenly, uh, out of nowhere, she's like, yeah, you know, I've, I like to DM for people occasionally, and whatnot, but I haven't played in a while, and just, like, I've known you this long, and I had no idea about this. At that point, you're almost angry, you're like, how did this not come up? How did we not discuss this? Honestly, and so like, 
it's that kind of thing. You never know who you're gonna get, and from there, it's just it just spirals off into like, as Dylan said, friends of friends and whatnot. And the next thing you know, you got a whole different, you got a whole different party. Um, so it, I've had a it's been a very interesting experience with me like that because some of these people, I only just met through D and D. But some people I've known for a very long time and only just started playing D&D with them recently. That kind of thing. It's been a very mixed bag on that, on that sort. Well, I want to kind of segue into scheduling here, but I think a good way to do that is keeping on the who to invite side of things. The numbers, I think, is a big one. And it's a hard one, too, because like we've just spent the last 15 minutes talking about, you want to introduce people, you want to show people this fun thing that you do. And at the same time, your space is limited. For me, I am very hardline. Four people, four players, I should say, is about the absolute maximum I would ever consider running a game for I like small games it makes scheduling easier and we'll talk about scheduling in a minute but Dylan I know you have you've done some big groups uh and and Darcy you've you've probably done more more so than than I have as well so I kind of want to get your guys opinion on you know how how do you run sizable games if that's what you want because for me I am like I'm in my 30s time is hard scheduling is is a nightmare at the best of times so i always advocate i'm just like you how many people do you have in your group oh that's way too many you gotta you gotta cut that back uh but yeah how do you feel about that and do you agree or disagree on the terms of of small groups because i have some good arguments for small groups but we'll, we'll keep those for for maybe other episodes but yeah uh dylan yeah what do you think you've been wooing me over with small groups slowly but surely and it's been working but when i first started playing when i first got into who to invite obviously you know if it's your friends right you invite your friends and when i when i when i started playing or started dming pardon me back in high school it was my group of friends in high school. So I'm young, they're young, and there's a lot of them. And it's like, well, I don't want to be the guy who's like, you can't play with us. And it's like, so I guess everyone can join. Here we go. And that's everyone's how here. everyone's here. That's how my seven, that's how my first ever campaign of seven players started. And and went on for three years. Three years. I, I I lost people over time. But still, I started big. I even had some guests in. At one time, I had eight in one room. And um, it, luckily, they took to the hobby enough to where they just were kind of role-playing amongst each other. And I could just sit back and listen to them either, you know, converse or bicker. And if I needed to get the ball rolling, it was as easy as... Literally, they would grab onto anything immediately in front of them, as I feel most players do. Uh, but as as I get older, and as the people around me get older, uh, you know, curse you time, uh, people get busy. They, get, they got things going on, and then they get schedules, and then I lose folk, right? And then those bigger sessions become smaller and smaller. And then I meet Nathan Stone, who's like, small groups are the best. I'm like, I don't know. I've never done those before. They seem scary. 
Yeah, you're kind of right. It's easy. It's a schedule. It's nice. It's simple. You know, it's I can focus more on the people in front of me and not like a group of five, six, seven, eight. Um, I think this game online that I'm just running with more new players. I love new players. Uh, it's gone from one guy to two, now up to four. And now I'm kind of like, okay, we're done there. Four, four, four is enough. But I still feel that my big groups follow me wherever I go and that they will slowly amass. For you guys, for you two, the game I run for you two and, and have to pick up again because I'm not in Halifax right now. I want to introduce Liam to it, right? I've, I've been very transparent about that. And that's what I mean. It just kind of gets bigger. And then I have this, you know, this big dream of having those two groups I run back home merge together, even for a little bit. And that's like eight people. So I feel like no matter what, big groups are, are kind of my MO. And for running them, the talking stick. One person talks at a time. Don't trample over each other and kind of don't don't cross talk. That's what that's what my old DM always used to say is that like if if people are having a conversation, let them have a conversation. Don't have your own conversation to the side. I only have I can only comprehend one thing at a time. And so it's like, we should kill this guy who's in the mansion up there. No, I don't think that. And over on the side I have, what's your favorite food? Oh, in my backstory, this happened. W- wait, what? <laughs> and I, I, I look over. So it's just like, keep, 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 the, keep the voices to a minimum and uh, try to keep on a general consensus. But there, there are sessions where you just role play and go nuts and have fun. That's fun too. I actually... I, too, started with, well, not that big a group in comparison to Dylan's <laughs> eight people. Um, but uh, I've usually played D&D and, other, and everything else in a group of, like, generally a group of five. That's always how I've played. Uh, and I was always fine with it, but then I started DMing. And then I started to realize, oh no, five might be too much. Uh, suddenly, you're trying to wrangle everyone in the right pl- in the in the same spot, but you have the the inevitable that always happens with these bigger groups, which, as Dylan alluded to, is an absolute freaking nightmare. Is party splits. Never had that. Oh, God. Yeah, we'll do a whole episode on party splits because party splits are a problem. And they they happen in big games and small games. I've had games with two people, right? Two players. (laughs) You're just like, no, no, come on. Come on, guys. You don't need to split up. This isn't Scooby-Doo. Come on. Two-person party split. That sounds atrocious. (laughs) But um, but it, it always happens in a lot of games that I play. Is that people decide to people decide to go off and do their own things, and somebody chases them down, and they're suddenly in different rooms, and uh, and whatnot, and you're trying to you're trying to keep track of all of that simultaneously, and you had what, and you had what I had uh, previously a little earlier on in the year was like three different combat sessions going. 
<laughs> which I had to schedule in different groups entirely for like each individual group. Uh, so it it comes a point where if a party split happens, sometimes that makes it easier to schedule because you're only dealing with two people at a time or one person at a time kind of thing. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's great. Because as you said, scheduling is the worst part of any RPG game, period. That's such a good point, though. And that's not something, that's not a tool that I've really used in my, my GM toolbox before, which is having side sessions to to get things done and that's especially useful if you do have a split party like that uh i know you use those with some frequency so is that yeah like elaborate on that a little bit because i think that's a really good tool that not everyone uses because i mean i certainly don't um but yeah because i i've i remember during our school year you talking about various side sessions and things for for games that you were running yeah and that's that was born mainly out of two things. It was born mainly one out of feeling bad for the uh for the people who have had who had to sit around and watch one person do something like that. That can be very hard to manage at times. But also also born out of the frustration of schedules. Uh and tried to wrangle everybody together. That could be hard. So when somebody wants to do something uh, leading up to like something big happening when they get together. Say some say people are stopping in town, and that's where you ended the session. It's just like, is there anything you guys want to do like separately? Um, and just like, yeah, I want to go over here, and it's like, and then of course, like they uh, we discussed beforehand, like, okay, does anybody want to go with this person? Uh, and that kind of stuff, and so you have these little groups that go off that you can suddenly make a little more manageable and a little bit easier to schedule. So it's not, so while I, while I hate, I hate party splitting when it's actually a big group, when it's like something that you plan for uh, ahead of time, it just helps get things done a lot quicker. And then you can reconglomerate and suddenly nobody's waiting for something to happen to them or like flipping on back as in another side of what's going on previously and and adding up timelines it's all just planned so like that's generally why i started doing that um and then at that point if at that point all that's left is for stuff that like people want to do together and that kind of, in a sense, brings the party together a little bit more because they're doing stuff together, but they've done stuff that they wanted to do separately just out of the way. Yeah, their their plate is clean. Now they can focus on what's at hand. And I, in that vein, Darcy, I do something kind of similar with having players of a bigger group do separate things in separate sessions but i've actually surprisingly for the for the size of the groups i run i've never actually had that big of a problem with party splitting but instead what i've kind of done to do is let's take let's take your guys's game for example the one i run for you 
and Liam. My my wishes to introduce Liam to to it. Right, he's playing a game. I'm running a game for him right now, and he has this whole thing going on. And I've been enjoying, uh, just instead of sort of slotting him in with your time schedule, giving him a whole different build up, a whole different aspect of the setting to sort of take his own information from. And then when he inevitably meets up with you, when we get that schedule worked out, there he is with. Who knows what he knows? Who knows what he has and who knows what he's gained? The same thing I've been doing with this online game. This group of four is actually a group of two, one, and one. Is that a lot more of my time? Yeah. But I got a lot of free time. I'm still young. Hey, waka waka. <laughs> so I, I can do that. And I can, instead of worrying about this big group and like, oh, how do they all meet up in the first place? I can let it naturally come to that point. I don't have to start immediately, you know, you all meet in a tavern. Yeah, and that's great. And giving them, giving people that, like, different knowledge on stuff, like, you get, to, you get to see what they do with that knowledge that nobody else knows. Do they spill all they know to the rest of the party immediately? And maybe it, and maybe it uh, clicks with somebody else who knows something else? Or do they keep things hidden and... Suddenly, uh, and suddenly something is sprung instantaneously, and there's this whole plot twist that happens as a result. It's it, it's a very interesting dynamic that could be uh, forged from that, and that's something that I really like. And it's, it's like what the players know, and so like through that, they just it, it's easier to decide, like, what to do next based on that. Let's, before our break, let's just hit on kind of scheduling in general, because we kind of went off on all angles there, but that was really good. Uh, so when you're trying to build out a schedule, how do you guys deal with those inevitable scheduling problems where player X is available every second Tuesday and Thursday, but player Y is available every third Wednesday and Friday. Is there is there a point at which you kind of throw up your hands and you're just like, okay, we, we have to do it on, on these days and whoever can't make it can't make it? How much back and forth do you do with your players to try and find something that fits? And also, do you go for a tighter schedule that is, you know, we're going to do every second Tuesday, for example, or do you go... I'm going to try and schedule this game once or twice a month whenever we can. I'm I'm hard on the once or twice a month whenever we can because life is hectic. But I do, in a perfect world, would love something that is just like, hey, every second Tuesday at six o'clock. When getting players uh, and to know their schedule, I it makes no difference. However, I do like to ask them instead when they're not available rather than when they are available, simply because that's sort of, I feel like that gives them the idea like, okay, they think about it. When do I absolutely have no time to spare? Instead of, when do I maybe have time for this hobby that I don't know if I will engage with? And I, I speak on behalf of new players solely because that is my the majority of my, my players. Um, and I, I line up their schedules and I, I look for that golden spot. You know, we, we hope and pray Tuesday, that Tuesday, that Tuesday, available for everyone. Whoa. But if it's not, you know, Ted's busy on Tuesday, but his, but his Thursday's off 
And Bill, he, his Tuesdays are iffy. He kind of works. That's kind of where this little, uh, I, can, I can go back to that. Just run separate games for people at the same time. But that's a lot of work on you. So maybe you don't have the time, you personally. And in that case, I agree with you, Nathan. Do it. Try, try to find one point throughout the month. And it's about getting those first few sessions. You want the impact because a, a game like Darcy knows will lose steam quick if you don't keep up with it. And so you have to you have to keep engagement. That first session has to be snappy. It has to it has to be concise. It can't be too long, but can't be too short. Just enough to have them to want more. Oh, when do we do this again? Best response you can get. Yeah, I, I think it's really well known the the statistics about games not getting past you know, that first or second session and momentum is a lot of it. So, and, and scheduling is a lot of momentum. So that's a really good point. I think in terms of scheduling, it very much depends on the players and what they're able to do. You, like, as you guys have mentioned, you got to know your, uh, you got to know what kind of players you're dealing with. And as stupid as this sounds, like, how uh, how old they are does take into account cuz like you like that's kind of where they're going to be so do they have school to deal with do they have just a, a a part-time job or are they working 9 to 5 or working just 4 weeks in 4 weeks out someplace out in the boonies you got to you got to take that all into account when when scheduling and maybe it just doesn't work with the party that's another thing too like you can sometimes it just doesn't work so finding that one day that works for everybody can like is is essential absolutely um but is it possible all the time it sometimes it just isn't and then suddenly that's left for a month and then then the campaign loses steam and then it's like okay when are we doing this again i don't know what happened i don't remember and that really comes back to the who to invite as well right so if you know if you know that someone's busy all the time but they're they're really like they want to play but you're just like oh i i don't i don't know if we can play any of the times you know that you can play type of thing that might kind of inform your decision on on how many players and and which players you want to go with because you you might have all the the it greatest intentions of involving Ted in your game but Ted's out you know doing uh crypto farming 7 days a week and you know he doesn't got a lot of time so yeah okay guys i think now is a good time to take a break uh, so we can get all this Ted hate out of our system and we'll uh, come back with our weekly challenge. What's that? Robot blood. I always knew the industrial age would end in chaos. Be sure to tell the young woman that mother sends regards. Good night, campers. You are trespassing on SeaWorld property. What if these things can read our minds? They're gonna be awful mad when they get to me. Welcome to the Video Cult. 
We're dedicated to bringing to light some of the most weird and wonderful movies you've ever or never seen. Dead teenagers' brains. What's really in there? Dead teenagers' brains. Cult classics, B-movie masterpieces, diamonds in the rough. Join Josh, Gabrielle, and myself, Nathan, for deep dives and scene-by-scene -scene breakdowns of these entertaining cinematic oddities. Are you wearing a condom? What? No, I didn't think so. Well, this is a safe sex zone, sir. So you're gonna have to move along. The first three episodes drop July 19th everywhere you get podcasts. Welcome to the cult. Dust off that VCR and don't forget your popcorn. Thank you. Have a nice day. Welcome back. That was a great break, wasn't it? Uh, something interesting probably happened. You probably heard an ad or maybe you heard more of me or Dylan snuck something sneaky in there. And I don't even know. I don't even know what he did. Don't tell them. Don't threaten the audience. Or maybe you saw Ted. Did you see Ted? <laughs> did you see Ted? Ted. We're looking for him. Yeah, he owes me money. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Great, great start. Uh, this is our challenge section of the uh, podcast. <laughs> Are you challenging me? You challenge me, Marvel. It's really hard. The challenge. Are you up for it? Every uh, episode, we have a new challenge that we encourage you to think about, uh, to join in with. Eventually, we're going to have these go up before our episodes so that our audience can join in. But for now, just kind of enjoy it, get the feel of it. And then if you want to participate in the future, we would love to see your creative uh, writing. Each of these challenges is for us to design either a character or a setting. It might be a monster, could be a villain, a hero, all points in between. It could be a city or a nation. and. Each of these challenges has a specific set of parameters. So our very first challenge is something that I thought was very fitting for a first episode, and it's called Fresh Faced Fortune Finder. And this is all about creating a character who is fresh off the boat, fresh out of the farm. You know, this is the, the first steps they've taken, the farthest they've ever been from the Shire. And uh, so here was our stipulations. This character must have lived a sheltered life before the campaign. An event must have thrust them out into the world. They must be seeking some kind of reward. And they must be hanging on to a part of their past life. And this is a character for any setting. So it could be fantasy, modern, sci-fi, all points in between. So starting us off today is our good pal Darcy. Darcy, hit us up. What did you come up with? My character that I came up with, his name is Phoebus. He is a fledgling wizard. Um, he, uh, he's, lived, he's lived most of his life, his entire life, in fact, in a locked up in a wizard tower, essentially, studying the arcane arts, with his two brothers, um, who are both older than him and far wiser than him, he's a little bit of a uh, he's a little bit of a brat as a result. 
uh, being the youngest, he got away with a lot of pranks and whatnot. Has a lot of fun little, uh, fun little, uh, quirky magic so much that he, that he liked. But, uh, but one day, tragedy struck this poor wizard tower as his eldest brother tampered with things he shouldn't have. And as a result, he got cursed and turned into a horrific eldritch monster uh, and murdered his other brother and tried to murder him too. Uh, And as a result, he was forced to flee from his wizard tower, taking only his eldest brother's staff which holds powers that he doesn't fully understand because he wasn't really paying a whole lot of attention to studying, you know, <laughs> the actual important arcane arts. He likes to do little little pranks and things to people. So, like, he takes the staff with him uh, in hopes of one day, uh, in hopes of finding a cure to his brother's affliction and to... Uh, and a way to uh, to restore what he once had. You said his name was Phoebage? Phoebage? Phoebus. Phoebus. Oh, I got the. And, and, and Phoebus <laughs> here doesn't have any connection to the to the to the Mad Wizard, does he? <laughs> that's I'm, the story you're describing to me. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I think I know oh, yeah. where you pulled this from, at least subconsciously. <laughs> That when I was writing, yes, his uh, his oldest his oldest brother's name is actually Dylan Joseph Campbell. Oh. Let's go. Oh no, it's <laughs> terrible. I love him. I, lo- I mean, I love wizards, so of course, I, of course, I love him. But I, he's he, I love these like wizard apprentice or like these spellcasters who are either heir to great wizards or were great wizards and lost all their power, and you kind of get to see this this bumbling little buffoon who uses his prestidigitation to make graffiti. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, have a, he has a serious life now, and he's a little adventurer. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I had in mind when, when, when making this guy. It's like, oh, he's just, he's just a little guy, buddy. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> just a little, a little guy. guy. <laughs> but, but uh, like, now he actually has to have some responsibility in his life rather than, oh, my brothers will take care of that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Good job, Darcy. Good <laughs> thank job. you. Thank you. I had fun with All that right. one. Mad wizard. What do you, what do you got? Oh, <laughs> I hope we... You know what you're going to hate the most about this? Oh, no, no. Mentioned it. We have to show the picture to the audience so that yes. they have... Yes! <laughs> just like, I'm going to disintegrate everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, oh, that's classic Mad Wizard. I just have a little paragraph for this because I thought it'd be start. I thought it'd be good to start a little vague and then give context afterwards. So I'll just I'll just read this. Uh, this is this is a character for um, for kind of of course a fantasy game. I, I kind of idea, but also maybe a little bit of a, a darker game. Okay, and I'll begin. Fire and brimstone. 
The confines of my jailer's walls were reduced to rubble and ruin. Debris kicked me as I fell prone to the cold stone floor. Signal horns and whistles shrilled in the background as armored boosts rushed by. I slinked under the umbra of shade and shadow to the remnants of my power. With book and staff in hand, I tapped wood against stone and was whisked away back into the cruel world inhabited by those damned adventurers which had stripped me of my reign. Beware the mad wizard! Beware the mad wizard! Beware the mad wizard! He who sees without looking and kills with a thought, return to the world! This is um, not Dylan Joseph Campbell, <laughs> but... Uh, Zerulian. Zerulian was the prior BBEG of some game who was imprisoned and is now free. And now gets you get to play him in his weakened state. And his goal is to uh, seek out those adventurers who had defeated him before, regain his strength, and uh, kill them. Okay, I love it. I love it. How, how <laughs> we both made wizards. <laughs> that worked out too well. Yep. <laughs> I, I was listening to this. I'm like, I hope we all didn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, my character is actually uh, a, a young wizard who turned into an abomination and killed one of his brothers. No, uh, as much as that would work so well. Um, yeah. So, Dylan, uh, great, great job. I love some of the uh, the references there. Spelling my own doom. Absolutely. <laughs> actually, it's a great subversion uh, of the of a trope it's like you don't always have to start with spring chicken fresh off the boat and uh wanting to and you know i want to kill the big bad you know like it, this is a great subversion of that it's just like what what if you were the villain what if you wanted to just go with it and just <laughs> just uh oh i'm i'm weak and i i want to i want to kill these people i freaking love that before we jump into mine if I can share a similar character that I had a long time ago, this was for a, a Dungeons and Dragons game a million years ago. And uh, so the character that I made was in a way similar to that, but he was he was a very old man. Like I actually used the old 3.5 age uh, charts to to kind of age him to like 70s or something. And he was a a wizard who was also kind of a, a, a noble or a baron or something um, in kind of his, his past life. Uh, he was, he was ruthless and, and, and evil. And uh, basically he was in conflict with, with elves that lived in a, in a nearby forest that he considered to be part of his domain. And there was a conflict. Uh, he ended up, basically burning the forest down with it with his magics um but in doing that his one of the the elf kind of shaman that kind of thing cursed him so that he would always hear the the screams of the dying and that kind of thing uh drove him mad and he, he basically locked himself in his in his keep and just looked for a way to get rid of it he did find a way to get rid of it, but it blasted his his sanity and he actually forgot who he was entirely 
and became this this kind of like wandering hermit who was only capable of of minor kind of cantrips and 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 that kind of thing. And so when the game started, he was living in this little like kind of roadside hovel and uh just kind of like tending to his gardens and and uh he was just this this weird old hedge wizard uh but and no one in the in the group knew that he was basically a magical war criminal including himself and as the game kind of went on and he started to regain some of his power some of these memories started flooding back but he didn't know where they were coming from or any like part of it and he would see places that he recognized but he didn't know how um that was one of a really really fun character to play that sounds incredible yeah i i love i love tragic characters either tragic heroes or tragic villains um so i I always try to to put a little little bit of that in, in my characters uh that being said there is none of that in this next character for you uh so i didn't go a wizard route uh but i did go for a fantasy route as well and Something about this challenge really kind of spoke to me as like your classic, almost like children's book, right? Like kid going off for to to adventure. Uh, so that's kind of how I, I wrote this this little beginning of a story. Thorleaf's father had always been a stubborn man. He was sprung from generations of stubborn men, all farmers and all who attended the family farmstead. No one knew when the family had acquired that tract of land alongside the Stojorn River. If there ever was a deed, it had long since crumbled to dust. And if you were to bring up their ancestors, to anyone in the family, you'd have been met with a shrug, and at best a, they did what we do. So it was that the stubborn Hegwald and his equally stubborn wife Marta and their equally stubborn seven children tended the land as their family had done practically forever. Change, in all its unwelcome glory, came to the family farmstead on a clear fall morning. Thorleaf, the oldest of Higvald's seven children, sat on a rock by the edge of the river, eating a piece of bread and wondering about nothing in particular, when he spied a strange man in a little boat lazily paddling his way along the deep blue waters. The man was nothing Thorleaf had ever seen. He wore a multicolored coat that seemed to be a patchwork of every fabric and color in existence. His hair was long and dark and his face was ruddy as he hummed a pleasant tune while he paddled. The boat sat low in the water, burdened by numerous packages and boxes piled haphazardly around the pilot. The boatman spied Thorleaf and a wry smile formed on his lips. He motioned the boy towards the water as he steered the boat toward the rocky shore. If Thorleaf had been prone to introspection, he might have noted that this was already the most interesting thing that had ever happened to him. Luckily, he was not. No sooner had the boat reached the shore than the man was out and calling to Thorleaf. By the time the boy reached him, the man had already produced a long trunk from the back of the boat. The man told Thorleaf that he was a traitor, and that he had traveled the whole of the world and now had returned to his homeland to share his treasures. Thorleaf had so many questions, none of which he had got to ask, for this traitor had the gift of gab and seemed to never close his mouth, let alone pause for a breath. Not a second after he finished one unbelievable anecdote, the next would start, all the while he was digging through the trunk. Finally, in the middle of one particularly nonsense tale about a man eating butter... 
about man-eating butterflies in the kingdom of giants, the trader exclaimed and pulled from his trunk a sword. It was iron and in all ways unremarkable. He turned to Thorleaf, who was shocked when it was immediately thrust into his hand. Thorleaf's eyes lit up. He had never held a sword before. When he was little, he would play with sticks and pretend. But the real thing proved to be much more enjoyable. At that moment, he felt something inside himself stir. It was an alien feeling. Excitement? Maybe. Farm life hadn't given him much to compare it against. Then his heart dropped. He opened his mouth. To tell the trader he had nothing to offer. But the trader, reading the boy's look like a book, merely put a finger to Thorleaf's mouth. Don't worry, he said. We'll think of something later. Then, with a laugh, the trader roughly hurled his trunk back into the boat, jumped in, and pushed off with a wave, leaving poor, dumbstruck Thorleaf to stand at the shore, looking quite ridiculous and holding a sword with no sheath. From that day on, Thorleaf was changed. He hid the sword from prying eyes and hands of his family, but began wondering but began wandering beyond the farmstead. He cared less for work and more for daydreaming. He started telling stories to his little siblings, things he had heard from the trader, and things he made up. This behavior was quite concerning to his parents, but to his credit, Thorleaf was as stubborn as they were and would not be dissuaded from his new hobbies. Over the next year, he grew a full foot and filled out nicely. He looked like a man and felt like one most of the time. One bright autumn day, he felt that stirring, like a lure in his heart, pulling him into the world. He had dreamed for a year of adventure, of mountains and treasure, of exotic lands, and now that dream was all he could see. Strapping his sword to his back and packing a bindle of bread and cheese, Thorleaf bade farewell to his brothers and sisters, while cleverly avoiding his parents, and set out. To a world full of adventure. So that's Thorleaf. Thorleaf. He is, uh, yeah, he's a silly, he's a silly boy, but he's got his sword. And he's ready for adventure. He also made just a little guy. <laughs> he's just a little guy. <laughs> Can I just say, I sorely misjudged that traitor. <laughs> when you, when you thought, when you said like, oh, the traitor produced a trunk, I thought. This kid's getting kidnapped. Kid's <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was the immediate thought in my mind of like, oh no, this poor kid. But no. And then he's just like, oh, he's just wholesome and gave him a sword for free. It's just like, oh, now I feel bad for even thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Darcy. Waited to prejudge this poor traitor. Now, I, I wanted to do something that was a little bit whimsical. I also, one of the things I love to do with my characters is to give them parts of their backstory that even I don't really know what's going on. And the traitor for, for Thorleaf is this one because I, he could just be a, a, a fun guy who saw a kid and he's like, I got this worthless sword. I'm going to give this to this kid on the shore. Or maybe there's something darker about that bargain, right? Uh, I don't know. And uh, I, I'm going to leave that to the, to the GM to, to decide. What stuck out of your on that little on the traitor's last words was like uh, what he said like I don't I don't know like uh, I I 
I, I, I don't know what this, uh, I don't have anything to give you. Uh, what stuck out to me was that he said, like, we'll think of something later, which kind of took to, like, made me think, it's like, is this guy, is this guy, like, uh, is this guy just an older version of Thorleaf? Oh, uh, time travel. I hadn't thought about I, that. I, I'm just like, oh, because he's like, oh, we'll think of something. And it's like, oh, that's kind of fascinating. It's kind of, <laughs> that, that's that's what I thought anyways. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I love, I love leaving little, little open things like that where it's, it's not set in stone and it could be anything. And I, I want to be just as surprised as the, as the GM is. And the the one thing I didn't put in the story that would be part of his his actual backstory would be uh, the the one thing that he took with him was a uh, a little uh, doll that his his youngest sister made. Uh, she she wants to she she like him is a dreamer. She wants to become a uh, a powerful witch, so she takes to making voodoo dolls there of her brothers and sisters. <laughs> there it is. There it is. There's the spellcaster. Found it. There's a spellcaster. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, and so he he's always been fond of this little voodoo doll, despite the fact that she's put several pins in it when when he's made her angry. And uh, so he, he's, he's taken that with him. So, yeah. Yeah, this is a this is a nice little group that we've got here. The store, Jorn, the, the store. Oh, boy. The store, Jorn River. I think it's store, Stojorn or Sto- Yeah, it's it, OK. Here's what I did. I um. I can tell. I can tell you the the spelling. S T O R J O N. It's a lake in Sweden. Oh, I thought you made that's, that. That's up. where I got the name. Oh. Okay. I still love the name. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Good job. Good job, everybody. I, I think everyone made a very wholesome character. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. One hundred percent. All three of us. Very wholesome characters. Very wholesome. Very wholesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I think that's going to about do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one. We have all sorts of things to talk about. Trust me when I say we have a big list of subjects that uh, we will be covering on this show. And in fact, I'm going to give you a little preview for next episode where we, we kind of decided to start things off in a way that is a little bit sequential, but of course we're, we're going to get into every single aspect of role-playing that you could think about, including uh, news. If there's anything interesting in the industry or super controversial, we are going to hit that too. But uh, I, I do hope you enjoy that. Next episode will be all about character creation conundrums, and uh, we're going to be talking about character creation from both sides of the table. So both as a player and a GM, what we like to see, what we like to make, what we hate to see, what we hate to see made. So I do hope you'll join us for that one. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please give us a five star rating on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to share the show with your friends, family, and that eldritch horror lurking just out of sight. You can connect with playing the role on Facebook to see upcoming challenges and news. 